This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, Matt Perry tells us about Magic Motion, the killer new feature for Framer Motion that makes shared element transitions both beautiful and easy for React developers. We talk about full stack correction for flip animations, the virtuous relationship between product and open source, and how a culture of fear-driven development kept Matt from finding a Magic Motion solution sooner. Before we dive in, a quick word about our sponsor, Infinite Red. It's great to have a friend who knows a lot about the technology you're using, especially when that friend understands how hard it can be to learn something for the first time. If you're building a React or React Native app, Infinite Red is that friend. They want to help you finish and fix that app that will change your life. They've compassionately taught tens of thousands of developers through open source and their annual React Native conference, Chain React. Get the help you need and two free tickets to Chain React in 2021 when you start a new project. Referrals count as well. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red and with their help, build a beautiful functional app today. Matt Perry, welcome back to React Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Uh, this is the only podcast I've ever done, especially the only one I've ever done twice. So this is it's nice <laughs> to be here. This is the only podcast you've ever done? Yeah, yeah. Dude, how? that's that's startling to me. I did it once with you and I thought, you know what? That's not going to be tops, so I can't do another. <laughs> and I, I never did. You know, okay. So, so we need to rectify this because I think that... I, I was going to say, not only... Not only was was our chat one of my favorites, but it is still to this day one of the most popular episodes like I've ever published, like top three. Oh, that's ama- that's like genuinely amazing. That's cool. Yeah, like beat out only by like uh, I did. Uh, I think that that same React uh, conf that we were we recorded at um, an interview with like the whole React core team. So it's like well, there's that gotta, one. Yeah, I can't hey, remember what the second podcast, one is. <laughs> I'm not going to even try and compete <laughs> people need to get you on if they want to make those numbers you know yeah well I'm, I, I obviously these days i don't have a wild amount to do so uh <laughs> i love it so the last time we chatted it was uh episode 35 of the show which was forever ago i think it was almost a year and a half ago at uh react conf and you gave an amazing talk with uh just the longest title i think it was like on declarative Animation it definitely the contained the words declarative animation. That's about as far as I can remember. <laughs> it was definitely you're 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 fitting all the buzzwords in there. Um, so I want to talk with you about what you've been up to since because I think that you've uh, like a lot has happened, and uh, I I think it'd just be fun to kind of catch up. So at the time you were talking about pop motion and pose, uh, which were kind of your um, projects owned by you personally, and pretty shortly after that, you moved to um, to f- work with Framer. So, tell me a little bit about that move. Um, yeah, so basically, I was making or trying to make a lot of noise on Twitter about Pose and declarative animations. And uh, Kuhn, the CEO of Framer, got in touch with me and was like, "Obviously, we need to talk because you know that's <laughs> right at their wheelhouse because they Framer is a prototyping tool for anyone who hasn't." Um, uh, used it and it's based on React as well. So they wanted to make their API a little bit more friendly for uh, designers to pick up. 
and Pose is, it was made specifically to be this simple, super simple React um, animation API. So yeah, so I, I moved to Framer and um, basically got to do my hobby as my job, which is really the, well, I mean, this is the best job I've ever had. So <laughs> Awesome. Now, what did it look like before? Um, you know, were you doing to, to support the open source? Were you doing contracts? Um, were you working with companies? Were you doing training? I know there's a lot of models for kind of integrating open source with with work. Um, what was your your approach at the time? Yeah. So basically, uh, I try and fit some in. Like if I was um, working at a company and I had a specific uh, problem, I try and like bake the solution into Pop Motion or Pose whichever sort of work best. Um, and then when I quit, I decided to work, well, I quit to work on open source exclusively. And I thought I'd, the, the idea was going to be that I'd start an open collective or um, the Patreon as well. And I'd use that funding to, like I try and build up that funding while alternating between purely open source and purely contract work. Sure. Um, and to just to try and keep like a nice mix of an income of any kind. <laughs> And doing something that I really enjoyed. So in the end, I never actually got round to the first round of contract work because uh, I ended up at Framer. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you were talking about uh, making a lot of noise. Like, how much did that play into... I mean, there's there's this really interesting thing that happens a lot now where it's like you start doing an open source project and you're really passionate about it and you're telling people about it. And maybe that specific project doesn't isn't the vehicle that takes you like all the way to like open source fame and success, you know, maybe like let's use like something like React Router as an example, right? Like they've been able to build an independent business off of that specific project. But there's kind of this alternate path where it puts you in like in a space to work with and collaborate with people that are doing really amazing stuff that you want to be doing. And that sounds kind of like what you found with Framer. Yeah, completely. Like I felt like we had a uniquely mutual USP almost like they wanted something from me that I don't think like I, I felt like I was uniquely able to give them, which is this animation library. And likewise, they had something uniquely interesting for me, which is all these like very domain specific um, problems. Yeah. And Magic Move is a great example of that where they need something that's hard to do and it's a problem space that I'm super interested in. And so I've got the time and space to do that and in a way that I can bake the solution to those problems in a animation library, but to the benefit of the company as well. Yeah. Rather than like normally it was just like a nice side effect. Whereas here it's like, you know, they, they need these features and that's great because like I, that's so what I'm into that I, I can be there to, to help them with that. Yeah, it's really interesting because it, it seems like, you know, your previous experience, you were kind of trying to solve things in a generic way and then build those those things that you were learning into a library that was kind of like your, your like side project, like library. But when you found the right partner, you were able to kind of those lines changed a little bit and you're able to like invest in the product. But then also by investing in the product, like have this boundary of like a library that that comes out of that work. Yeah, exactly. Like Magic Motion uh, specifically is, and for those who don't know, I'll just like briefly explain that in Framer, you can um, draw any two screens and like link them with a little line tool and you can animate between them in your prototype. Um, but it does some like 
more advanced shared layout stuff. So when you're on a, an iPhone, you might get a, a transition between a, a list view and a detail view or a gallery. Okay. You know, there's the gallery view and the image view. <laughs> so it makes these sorts of animations quite trivial to make because you just draw the little line. But I, I think they would have been happy for me to just have that as the, the you know, we've made the feature, it's in Framer, sure. the end. But I kind of wanted to figure out like, okay, which parts of this can we put into Framer Motion, which is the open source library, and which parts live in Framer? And I feel like we managed to get a good amount of this into um, into Framer Motion and expose it in a way that made more sense for developers. So we've got this new animate shared layout component, which is essentially shared layout transitions. Um, and all you have to do is mark up your your code with you know this component and maybe a few props that say. Yeah, this is, you know, these two things are the same and these two completely separate components. So as a designer, it's as easy as drawing this line between two screens. But then as a developer, usually you'd get some crazy animation like this and you just yeah. put your head in your hands and go, oh my God, <laughs> like I bet. And, and not only would you, it wouldn't even be like, okay, that's going to be super difficult to make. Like if you give me two, three weeks, I'll, I'll be able to make that. Are you going to get the two or three weeks? Often not. So yeah. now it's it's kind of, um, it should, should, hopefully, if we've done our job correctly, um, it's as simple for the developer to implement it as it was for the designer just to draw that, that line. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so the library that powers us in Framer is, is the same library that's available to developers in Framer Motion. Yeah, exactly. It's literally the same. I mean, it is Framer Motion, in running in Framer Interesting. or in your prototypes. So there's a couple of things that I've added. Um, there's a couple of extensible options that they're not public APIs yet, but maybe they will be at some point. But where I've just added a few other things that maybe you we might, like in in uh, in Framer, the rotation uh, property is quite exposed. So you can use that very easily. Whereas people don't often use rotation in um in, de- in design stuff. Sure. So to support rotation, there's actually an extra uh, life cycle, like a, an extra um, read-write, basically, okay. that we need to use. Um, and so to prevent layout thrashing, I kind of, like, I suppress... that. That's not... The full code to support that is an in-framer motion, so we add to it with in-framer. Gotcha. So when you write it, it's only uh, prototypes, you can use it, and the, you, you, there might be a way to use it when this crystallizes in frame of motion at some point that's interesting well i've always i've always thought that you've had a really good uh sense of where those boundaries should live uh, i remember even being um kind of impressed by that when we were talking about pose and pop motion and the relationship there but i want to talk i, w- I want to you know since we're here i want to dive into like the specifics of frame motion for developers because uh i've been seeing like a lot of just killer demos online and you've been like kind of like retweeting things as people explore them and kind of as you develop them so tell me a little bit about uh magic motion because this is like like my only uh kind of like exposure to this concept of like things just kind of like magically move between things is magic move in keynote which i think is maybe the coolest feature that's ever been developed on a computer and, yeah, and so, also <laughs> trademarks hence uh, <laughs> yeah. hence the motion rather than the move did you figure that out the hard way or <laughs> it was just a disappointed afternoon when we realized that 
they, they had a trademark on Magic Moves. It wasn't just a nice feature name. It was literally a TM. That sounds very Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, tell me about this killer feature. So, yeah. It, it, so, like I say in Framer, like it, it, it's kind of, it's a way to animate between very simple um, boxes here, boxes there. It's one color here, one color there, different border radius, you know, these two sorts of screens, but also it can be as complex as um, list view to item view. Or, and then, you know, if we've got a scroll view on one page and then you open up a, a modal and then that opens up another dialogue, you can go back <laughs> through all of these and it will yeah. keep the scroll position for all of them, which is like, so, you know, it's super difficult to do. You can't do it in any other prototyping tool as far as I'm aware. And yeah, so like I say, I wanted the handover to be just as simple. So there'll be a guide. Um, I kind of toyed for a while. The the API itself was literally magic motion. There was a magic <laughs> prop if you used it just on a single component. Um, and uh, after a while, I kind of, I think it was like the day before I wanted to publish the open beta. I was just had a Hail Mary. I was like, this is you know, this isn't an API. You can't just have a magic prop. So I had to talk to a couple of people. I've been way too thick into developing it that I hadn't really seen the forests and the trees. And so that's why we ended up on, there's two features really. There's um, auto in the API, in frame of motion, there's automatic animation where uh, before you could tag a component with animate equal, you know, equals and your prop. So, you know, X, 100 or you know opacity one and things like this and sure whenever those values changed it would animate to them but now you can just say uh, motion.div animate and it will keep track of any changes that happens to it whether it's you know style like opacity background color things like that or it's as complicated as layout transitions so you know you change a flex box to a css grid or you do you know you can do anything you want like position absolute to position you know fixed or something and it will detect the changes in layout and it will animate them using a transform we're using the sort of like classic flip technique uh-huh. uh but that always incurred uh distortion so you're because you're replicating width and height with scale x and scale y yep. your border radius is going to get squished your children are going to get squashed. Whereas this with a full stack uh, correction will invert all of the, um, it will automatically invert any distortion and correct for it. So it looks like a, um, like a real layout animation, but it's all completely using transforms. So you're way more likely to hit that 60 frames per second. And then, the second part of that, this is really, so the way Magic Motion in Framer works is is literally just by um, the new Animate Shed Layout component, which, like I was saying earlier, it allows you to do this same thing where you've got the, you know, the um, opacity is different, layout's different, this sort of thing, but you can do it between two completely different components. So... It, you don't even, they don't even need to be, you just tag them the same thing. Like, oh, this one's an underline or a, a header or something. And it will, between completely different screens, it will animate one from the other. Yeah. So those two together is what magic motion really is like under the hood. And that's how developers are going to implement it. Literally by writing the word animate and by wrapping it all in animate shared layout, you can do anything that we do with uh, magic motion. That is the wildest thing. And this is the thing, like this, I think 
you know, we've been talking about this. Ryan Florence kind of like started the sparked this conversation on Twitter, I think, of how, you know, like five years ago, it felt like anything was possible in React. And then we've kind of like become really boring, I, I think, over the last like five years. And this is one of those things that is just kind of like blows my mind a little bit because I know what a pain in the ass it is to like try to implement any of this stuff. And honestly, like, like, to the point of being impossible. Like you said, like even if you could get it done in three weeks, like can you, can, will your company allow you to do it for three weeks? And like at the end of it, you're really just going to have like that one feature does that cool view, not like some globalized thing that you can use everywhere. Yeah. So this like magic motion thing, just it sounds like magic to me. Well, that's why, yeah, I almost named it as such. <laughs> but but luckily I didn't. <laughs> So, like, I mean, how long have you been been working on this to get some type of global solution that allows you to transition literally between components? So, really, I started the first like real feature that I did around this was Impose, um, but it was super like basic. So, uh, it only did layout and the children. It had all the distortion problems. I slowly brought that back into frame of motion with uh, position transition and then a bit more advanced of layout transition. But again, like all of this distortion was occurring. Um, so this is the, this this particular feature, I've been working on it full time for about eight weeks, which is kind of like, and I'm, I'm, I haven't finished as well. This is still an open beta. Sure. Um, we're still working on the, the feature in, inside of Framer as well. And so... Frame is a great stress test, by the way, as well. If it can run, if you can just throw prototypes at it that people have just drawn willy nilly, and and for it to <laughs> to to work in any of these situations, like it's it, yeah, it's a good uh, bug finding exercise. Oh, for sure, and, and a good performance because you could have like hundreds of layers in this thing. So we need to like run this these animations at sixty frames a second and stuff. So it can be, um, yeah, it's a good uh, good optimization target as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. So, um, yeah, so eight weeks of full-time work. And I think that really is the key di- like difference between I wouldn't have had that time, you know, when I was doing this on my own. Sure. So this is the, it shows you the sort of level of investment that a feature like this needs to have in, from yeah. a time point of view. And also like almost like an aspirational kind of thing. Like I don't know that I would have ever landed on the um, deep, the, the sort of like tree scale correction stuff where we, you know, I do all the reverse inversions or whatever, like to, to fix all of the distortion. I'm not sure I would have ever even maybe conceived that it was possible because of my ignorance of like geometry or whatever it is. Um, certainly wouldn't have embarked on an eight week mission to implement it, <laughs> but because Framer, the program, like the app, had um certain product requirements like we need we want you know we want a magic move uh, okay well if you're gonna do a magic move you need to do it using transforms because otherwise it's not going to perform very well and so i say this and then they say well yeah is that gonna work and i'm like yeah <laughs> and then really what i'm thinking is fuck what am i doing what am i saying like i don't know <laughs> so I had to come up with a way to do it. So it's not just a time investment. It is like having to hit these sorts of uh, externally produced, but also perhaps semi-self-imposed restrictions or, or features. You just have a lot of trust in yourself, a lot of confidence in yourself. 
That's... It's the best way, like fear-driven development. <laughs> I agree. Now you touch on something that's really important to me in in that this feature was born out of product and actually made better from product. You know, because of all of the constraints of product, like you actually had to think about things at a higher level than just developing a developer API um, that worked. Um, it, it needed to be kind of, I guess, at like user level, it had to be polished and nice and uh, effective, I guess, for just, you know, when you're just drawing lines between things. Um, what have you learned through that process of kind of like coming through like a product feature, especially like a highly visible product versus kind of, um, you know, the, the mode that you were in before where your kind of open source and work are a little bit separate? Yeah, I think it comes down to the aspiration of the feature set. Um, people have like product requirements you don't even know they have. So, or they don't even know they have, but you, <laughs> this is like broadened the, uh, like the sort of inputs into propelling me forward to going, yeah. oh, I can solve this, I can solve that. This is how you solve it. for, And then, oh, that API is too complex. It's, oh, okay, well, how about this? And, you know, the whole animate equals um, X colon zero. I Coming from Pose, where everything was based on poses, I wanted to use essentially poses again, yeah. um, which we have, which variants are used to sequence animations throughout um, full trees. But... Um, there was it was there was a meeting where uh, Jorn, the, the head of product, he said, um, or C- CPO, I don't, is that head of product? He's a head of a lot. He's, a, he's the head. He's head, <laughs> head honcho. He um, said, uh, "Man, this is still too complicated for designers. You know, you need to yeah. come up with something like easier." Basically, I was just well, you know, almost like for fuck's sake, you know, like this. Is, how could it be? Well, the easiest thing you could do is like animate equals x colon 100 and that's and as i said out loud i was like man why don't i just do that in the first place like this is <laughs> this is ridiculous but, but you've got you carry so many preconceptions yes. in your own head of what like, it's the same with this anime you know just as a prop like in my head it was too expensive to query an element for um layout and styles and stuff and then diff that against the second snapshot especially you know before and after render and we, we were looking into like a performance issue earlier today. And that was like nothing. And we're talking like hundreds of layers <laughs> like, and we're querying all of them. Yeah. But because we batch them into like, we do a whole tree batching of these life cycle me- methods. And so you only ever really get, you get maybe um, two writes, two renders sort of things um, rather than the hundred, you know, you could be thrashing layout thrashing. Basically, sure. If you did that once individually for every component, um, and it was only because I've been pushed into this situation where the the feature required it. I would never, basically, like, I would never have made this feature on my own because I would have had the preconception that doing this, doing it this way is too, comp- uh, sorry, it's too um, performance intensive or what did you say? Like, it's it's not performance. Too slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too yeah, slow. yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's also I'll just use the small word. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) performance uh, above my pay grade. Yeah, performance. (laughs) It's uh, yeah, it's taken a this this magic has taken my vocabulary from me. That's the other downside to uh, 
to working on this feature. But yeah, so yeah, it it definitely gave me that sort of um, the the not bravery, but like the it forced me to do something. And then when I did it, I realized that actually it wasn't nearly that bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. This is something that truly fascinates me a lot. And like one of the like a lot of my favorite programmers use product as a constraint for like all development for this reason, right? Because it's so easy to just get into the weeds on like, oh, well, you know, I know that that's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z, or like the performance characteristics are going to be off or like whatever. And then, but like so often, like when you just kind of look at it from the other side and try it from that other angle, the solution kind of like emerges and you're like, oh man, like all of that was just nonsense. Right. Or like maybe it was true in like a different situation and I just carried it over unnecessarily to this one. Yeah. And um, I love that. I love that. I love seeing like solutions that, you know, kind of once you let yourself go towards the like the clarity of the the outermost like user focused API, um, they just kind of like trickle down in like these really beautiful ways. Yeah. it, it, It genuinely, I find it almost terrifying that my imagination is sort of bounded so heavily in knowledge <laughs> that I might have picked up up to 15 years ago you know yeah. this is sort of you know what is querying the dumb expensive like a little bit but not really not compared to xyz <laughs> so and so I haven't done it for you know the three years that I could have done this particular feature with a declarative react animation library so it makes you wonder you're looking around like what else is out there in the in the in the hedges waiting to i don't know what else am i not doing out of out of fear now you mentioned the uh sorry this full stack correction could you like dive into that a little bit more yeah yeah for sure like this is um when i say my ignorance of geog- uh, geometry this is kind of what i mean i think every Time so basically when you flip, which is um, you've got two layouts and you measure the difference between them and say mm-hmm. one's like a hundred pixels high and the other one's two hundred pixels high. Well, you can lay that out as the final thing, which is two hundred pixels high. Then to make it look like the old one, you can to make it the same height, you can just make a scale y of zero point five. So now you've got something that is two hundred pixels, but it's it looks a hundred pixels tall. But really what you've done, because you use scale, is you've squished everything inside of it. And now all of it looks like flat or flattened. Like when you've taken an aspect ratio of an old TV show and like stretched it across your 16 <laughs> by 9 TV. It's like <laughs> yeah. that sort of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so you get this. And if you want to, and it's the same with border radius. Say you had a border radius on that component, that's going to look squished as well. Um, this is an animation technique, right? Where you kind of like, in like in memory you're kind of like just making it the final thing and then like you said scaling it back but it's because it's a transform it's not actually all of the dimensions that were like the thing that you created originally yeah exactly it's not a real layout so you're having to um if you want to make that look normal again okay well now you've got to go on child deep you've got to go okay the the scale on this um this uh, child element now needs to be two to correct for its parent being squished. So you squish the parent by half, you need to double the... Gotcha. And then, I mean, you, that usually only goes one level deep, but you, it's quite difficult to do this. Basically, I wanted like a universal solution that wasn't just one child deep. It was 
every child. It was, you know, if what if that child's child is doing the same thing in this stack and, you know, or you've got multiple ones of these all sorts of places on the screen. You, I just wanted, oh, and the other thing is if you try and animate, so this is the other complication that we needed to fix. In Framer, it's so easy to make these sorts of new layouts and animate it between them. Sure. Whereas as a developer, you might not always like, you think, oh, that's going to fail because of the scale X on this parent. So I'm not going to do that. But in Framer, all you care about, you just want to move this box there and have it yeah. animate as normal. But say you're, um, you're animating this, this half width or half height um, component and you're animating it back to its normal height, to back to scale one, basically. If you're trying to animate a, a component within that um, on the on the same axis, so say if it was width, you'd be animating this ball or icon or a person's avatar or something sure. on the X scale. Well, if you're squishing and squashing the coordinate space that it wants to move through, then you're going to get the tween is going to or sorry, the animation is going to sort of speed up or slow down as okay. the thing gets squished and squashed. Because it's like the it's like the expansion of space, you know, like the yeah. the, the space it's moving within is actually <laughs> getting bigger or getting smaller. So it, the distance it's traveling versus the what it thinks it's traveling is different to what the viewport actually is. Because you've like half the coordinate space. Sure. Yep, well, now yep. if you move it x one hundred, it's going to actually go visually a different amount than hundred pixels on the screen. Um, so, so, so would an example of this be like? Uh, kind of like how Apple, like in the App Store, they have those cards, right? And like the cards are maybe kind of like rectangular, like uh, in, in like they're they're wider than they are tall. Yeah. But then when you expand them, w- they take up the whole screen. So now like the, the, the kind of the eventual size is that they're taller than they are wide. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're animating to those, like if you have a circle, it's going to take on some weird o- oval type shapes when it's transformed between those two sizes. Yeah, that's precisely it. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And you want that, so you want that to be that circle throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and it's the same with every other element on that in during that transition. Um, so what we do is uh, we keep a we keep track basically of for every component we keep a, sort of like a transform stack. Okay. Um, so we we apply it as sort of as normal, but it just means that every child can go up the stack and before. So we have, so every component has a, like a shadow bounding box. Okay. Um, and we animate that instead. So we animate that normally on like a, what we'd call, what I'd call like the screen coordinate space. So the ball, you just animate that normally from X to Y, uh, A to B, sorry. X to Y is a bit confusing when you talk about <laughs> axes. Um, from A to B. Uh, and you can give it any animation that you want. But it's, it's com- doing so completely independently of any transforms or anything. But because we know the transforms for everything above, what we do is apply that to the actual position of that ball, the real one, before it's taken any transforms on. Wow. And then, so we apply it to that. So, and this is, my wife had to teach me this. We were in a bar one night and she had to like <laughs> teach me geometry on a, I just wanted to like figure out this once and last and just like, in, like between between them. But um she was like, no, you're going to have to do this every frame, basically. I was like, oh, shit. Oh my I don't God. want to do this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so you, so we do this stack, this whole stack correction every frame. It's actually, it doesn't take that much. Um, it's not that like much more than a normal animation, basically, in terms of uh, computation. We, we go through the tree 
apply the transform to the real element and then we figure out the del- the the final delta between that and where our animated shadow bounding box is okay and that's what we have to apply so that's all you have to do once you've got that once you've applied all the transforms you just need to figure out that final delta every frame to where it re- where it's been transformed to like is it an oval now is it you know whatever yeah okay now what after all of that after whatever the parents are doing what final transform do we have to apply to this element to get it to look like we want it to look on the screen and that's it so to get like because i don't i'm quite ignorant about like mass and geometry it was a bit of a challenge like to actually implement it but like honestly if you've got even a rudimentary knowledge it's it's kind of like a just like semi-embarrassing at how simple <laughs> it actually is when you look into it. But it, yeah, that's 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 a technique. And it just means that now, especially, I think we finally got it where, you, you know, nothing's going to look weird. You can throw pretty much anything at it. Yeah. That's so wild. So, so if I understand correctly, basically, because the... And I don't have that rudimentary knowledge, so I'm just kind of you know going off of of, of what you you're telling me. So, oh, good luck then. <laughs> because um, the the animation is going to have uh, like some some additional motion to it, right? Like it's not going to be like a linear thing. Uh, you have to like take it from like the eventual state and like calculate those as individual frames, like the difference between individual frames for every single element that is represented in that. Essentially, but and and we also have to do it once. If like we can't like pre-calculate any of this or anything like that because um, we the orchestration of anim- like at the moment we impose one animation on all of the properties because okay um, we well I I've got this other thing where you can crossfade between two of these screens if you have to. So for instance, you might have like um, a text uh, box that's wrapped in one layout like you know, this, but then in the other layout, it's like slightly longer or whatever. If you're just uh-huh. to transform those bounded boxes, they can, it can look really weird when you swap, finally swap them out. But with the crossfade, you animate both of them in tandem and crossfade between one tree to the other. Gotcha. So it kind of masks any of that weirdness that you might, you, you probably won't, it depends on what your design is, but, um, and so because of that, you need them to animate at the same time. But at some point, I want to make it that you can animate these things individually. So even as the parents squishing and squashing, you can animate the, you know, the child as if it's completely independent of that. Uh, So this is something currently that we have to do once a frame, take into account all the parents and blah, blah, blah. Interesting. Yeah, I know that that's kind of like a a staple of magic move in... in, um what's the name of that app it's keynote isn't it keynote yeah 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 keynote um sorry in keynote is that the magic move is like its own animation there's like there's no controls into magic move it's like you know we decide like when you know an element can be transitioned how it's going to be transitioned and like which ones kind of default back to crossfade yeah so at the moment you can go in and like change the the nature of the tra- of that so you can use a spring you can use a duration based uh animation um, and you can do all that in frame or in code but i want to make it so that you'll be able to um go into every component and the same way that currently you can have variants and like with a variant you can say okay when i change to this variant and 
my child changes to this variant. Yep. I want all of those children to stagger, you know, after 10 milliseconds, do the next sure. one, do the next one. Do it. So you can start orchestrating things in a, in a React component-like way. Yeah. Um, very modular. So you can say, you know, if you put that child somewhere else, it'd be, it wouldn't have a delay. It wouldn't define its own delay. The parent does it. So you can stagger over these children. Um, staggering is like a parent thing. So I want the same thing here where you can go to a parent and you can say, if I do a shared layout transition and you're a bunch of items and you come in, I want you to come in one by one after 20 milliseconds or something. Um, so yeah. So to do that, to support that at some point, like that really now is just an API problem. Like I just haven't figured out the best way to do that. But when I do, like it should be, I'm hoping there won't be any unforeseen consequences. (laughs) I think it'll be fine. Oh, it'll definitely be fine. I have full confidence in you. You've you've gotten this far. I'm I'm pretty sure you can take it the rest of the way. Yeah, I've gotten this far by making bold claims and then like (laughs) getting a hot flush, as you can see, while I figure out how to... I I don't even know how to start solving these problems. So one thing I'm curious about is I know that with pose and pop motion, the relationship was such that you were able to easily transport it to um, view and or, or that's what something you were working on at the time. How much do these new features depend directly on React? Yeah, well, because I wrote, wrote this um, from the ground up for React a lot. Like it, it really does depend on, and in spite of, and because of. So I've I've worked with and against these life cycles, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty baked in a lot of this. Uh, there's some things that are completely portable, like the drag controls, for instance. All of the logic's contained in a class, so with the right abstraction, you could probably just like hook into this uh, and use it in view or whatever you wanted to use it in. But I think on the whole, it's very much React first, and kind of yeah. By design, I think I quite like the idea that I'd be able to think completely in terms of React and what that would mean for the maintainability of the project going forward. Sure. With Vue and Pose, it kind of just got quickly dropped because I didn't know a lot about Vue. Yep. Um, and, you know, you build, it's hard to detect where the bugs are. And it was just, it became a bit of a nightmare supporting all these different platforms. That's really interesting. Now, I know that. Um- to kind of back up kind of like a lot, uh, Framer is specifically like a React tool, like to such a degree that you can actually kind of um, build up like a component library that you would use in Framer and, and, and whatnot. Um, so it, it seems like kind of Framer has already made like a like a decision to really just be like a React project. Yeah, for sure. I think that was somewhat like made quite early on. But the, the component thing... Is like a super big part of it. Like when you have a design system or a design, um, like a design, a, a style guide back in the day. Yeah, it's a component. You know, it's a story. It's a storybook. It's a sure. It's a list of components. <laughs> That's all it is. Like, but now we can make those live and publish and share them. Have a single source of truth. We're not there in all these aspects, but I think that was the real draw for React. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's like imperative ways of coding are actually in some ways more natural to us. I think when we just start out hacking, um, we think of it in an imperative way. Uh, so a lot of designers and developers have had a difficulty making that mental leap to the declarative model. But I think when you get there, it, it becomes a lot easier. We had like a lot of complaints when Frame of Motion was first released that people couldn't make 
things like this you sure. know, shared layout stuff. Like you literally just couldn't, you know, you couldn't make it or they didn't know how to make it. I didn't know how to make it. <laughs> but the, there was always like this underlying um, belief that when we do fix it, it'll be fixed and you'll be able to do it and it'll be way simpler because if you look at, because you say like, oh, so how did you solve this in in a previous? Because the old framer was it was on CoffeeScript, so you had to. Okay, it really yeah. was like every in the very original framer. So it was like, okay, so how did you, you know, how did you actually solve this in the old in the old framer? And they'd show you the code, and you're like, fuck me, like this is <laughs> this is insane. You're, this isn't how to. Do, this is like five thousand lines of code. Like this isn't. No one should be put through this ever. Um, and now, like, it is, you know, there's the GUI experience, which is the draw of the line thing, but there's the declarative experience for the developers as well, which is literally your intention. Okay, this is a layout ID. So on this screen, it's here. On that screen, it's there. I'm going to swap them now. And you figure that out. And that's, you know, that's the declarative way. And now I don't think there'd be any arguments that that's simpler than what you would have had to have done with that imperative um thing and i think so i think that in that respect the component um based the the choice to go for components basically has has is paying off yeah 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 Yeah. it it seems like a lot of times you need to we've talked about this on this show a lot like the need for constraints like to decide in advance like what your constraints are going to be and just target that because you can't you can't do everything and um especially in domains that you're not too familiar with, right? Like, so like, you know, trying to support view, uh, it, it's just kind of like a distraction almost from the work that you really enjoy and feel most capable to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, it, you know, this even thing, the choices in this, the, another good example in a framer, especially is uh, we use the DOM on the canvas, which could be a, you know, could be a controversial choice. You might think, oh, well, actually, I prefer to use, uh, canvas sure you know because that's a you know you conceivably that could be a, a more performant experience but because we didn't because it's just using normal react um now you're getting frame of motion if you design something yeah. you can export it straight away it's going to look the same it's going to work the same um you want to import something from another library you know you can do so so it you know it's a constraint in some respects sure i haven't as someone who's like looked into performance issues before, like it, the DOM isn't always like the nicest <laughs> thing to go mucking around in. But at the same time, the benefits that you get out of that is also, and then they can then further influence the product direction. Yeah. Like once you set your parameters, you you sort of get funneled down a path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know that React has kind of historically been unfriendly to the like the notion of a shared element transition i'm curious uh, from your perspective having done this work now are there things that you think could be improved in react to make this kind of more like built in from the framework yeah it's tough to say what i'd want out of them maybe lower level access to um the life cycle events so at the moment the 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 Wrapping component, animate shared layout, it isn't actually something that we... I think if the life cycles are different, we wouldn't actually need it. And we could actually do all a lot of this without any um, wrapping component. Interesting. And it's the same with... So we use... Um, for a lot of our demos, like the App Store demo and stuff, we, use, we mix in animate presence, which allows you to animate unmounting 
elements as well, uh, mounting components. Sure. So the two together work really nicely. But if, but the animate presence as well, like that, does that need to be there, or is that a limitation <laughs> of the of the life cycle methods that we get from React? So, in those sorts of respects, I, I, I would say a couple of wrapping components. You know, it's not going to kill anyone, but it is. It's it's almost like a shame when it's so it's already so lightweight from what you have to write as a developer. It's like, oh, I just. I'd love to, you know, because you can't like the the shed layout stuff and the automatic animation stuff. They both use the majority of the same code, so it is possible to do loads without a wrapping component. Interesting. But apart from that, like, you know, I'm a big, big, big React fan, and I think it's a paradigm. I don't buy. I've never really bought that it's just another jQuery. Obviously, it's going to have its day one day. Sure. But I do think that the model and the it's more than a set of utility functions, which is essentially that's all jQuery ever was. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is a, it's a different way of thinking about your app and how it, you know, how it works, how it's put together, how it's shared. And just that expressiveness where really reducing the API down to, you know, a div, motion.div animate. Like yeah. that's so reductive. Like I, you know, I could never have written. And as someone, I'm looking at Pop Motion's API again. Um, as now, it, probably it's only user uh, where I can I use it in frame of motion. I'm trying to potentially rewrite it so that it's a bit more like low level. Sure. And for people who really need that flexibility, um, and it already was. So that's really saying something. But like I want to make it really gritty now, really unlikable. And uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, I d- I don't know. I think it's. Uh, it, it's easy, like, there's a lot, there's so many assumptions that you can bake into a React API. For instance, the fact that it's like a component that has a, a mounted ref and all of this sort of stuff. That when, you, when you're building something from scratch where it has no idea of hierarchy or children, you know, parents, context, it, it, life cycles, and all of this has to be done imperatively, the APIs can become so much like dirtier yeah and 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 that's you know that's way more than like a couple of wrapping functions here or there you know interesting man i could talk to you about all day about this stuff but we are kind of uh coming to a close i think we're kind of like closing in an hour and i know you have some super important work to do um but i have just two things that i want to kind of like wrap up with um the first is just kind of like now that you're working with a company that prizes open source or the like export of open source solutions um like how do you feel about that kind of coming from from your previous experience yeah i mean i i love it <laughs> it's it's amazing <laughs> to yeah to um to do well it's amazing to do what i wanted to do as a hobby as a job and it's great to when you get like a new feature like magic motion it's kind of I'm super excited to see all of, like you say, you know, people are sharing stuff on Twitter and I'm retweeting them because I'm genuinely like excited to see what yeah. people are coming up with. Um, mm-hmm. Probably more so with this than perhaps Frame Emotion the first time. Like the, it, it, last year's release was amazing, but now seeing what people are actually coming up with with this one in Framer and in you know code on Code Sandbox or whatever, um, it's it's awesome, and I'm hoping to see. You know, because it's open source. Like, I want to see this in production. I want to see, you know, people yeah. <laughs> making some real stuff of it. Well, I think it's really interesting because it feels like, you know, as a as a company, like it's a very virtuous way of working. Because as a company, it seems like they're getting the best 
of you like kind of having your excitement and your your like your full mind on this on this problem um but then also like you know you're not trying to figure out like how you're going to support yourself while you do the thing that you're passionate about and that seems awesome to me yeah no it totally is yeah and it's like i'm not having to think about like the next like for me like you say this is easily the best way to get the most out of me but obviously that isn't necessarily what's best for the company or for the product but i personally believe and so far they agree i think it is also the best way to get stuff out of their products which yeah. is you know such a great um mashup basically yeah, yeah. um and it, i do think i think it adds a lot of value to framer as well i think it's i think it used to annoy me like in photoshop when I'd make something that looks super cool and I'd be like, right, time to make that in CSS. And back then, obviously, you had, you know, you had nothing. Um, you know, you didn't have border radius or anything. Yeah, so you had yeah. to make that with images. Like, really, like, it was the pits. And, yeah, nine um, images. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so now, yeah, box, box shadows. I mean, my God. But now you, to know that, like, you can make something super, like the, the shared layout stuff, and then it's relatively trivial to go and implement that. Like that's, I think that's a, a, a big boon, like yeah. to have that in a, because now when I mess around in Framer, like I know that I can go and grab that somewhere else as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. In, in production. So you've been like super bullish about um, animation on the web. I mean, for, for as long as I've known you, you've been kind of like carrying this torch of like, hey, we can get there. We can make the web a, like an awesome platform that's, that's, that's beautiful. And feels i guess uh, natural or like real in the same way that that native platforms do i'm curious kind of as you look into like the next you know uh, maybe two to five years like are you still excited about that same goal or has that shifted a little bit i think uh, with like magic motion like way more than before i'm hoping that this sort of erases like anything that's left now is performance related and i think we can get that out the way like we'll figure that out um i don't I, i'm hoping maybe a few gestural stuff as well but i think we're really getting to a point where there's probably no excuse now for the web to be shoddier than an, <laughs> a native app like we and it, it, in some respects like i was looking at how they do these shared down uh, shared layout transitions in ios yeah, there's no excuse like they, it's not pretty <laughs> yeah. um so in that respect, like I'm, I'm super excited to see when you know when we've got this in in master and it's a proper release because it's only an open beta at the moment and there's some things to figure out. But I'm excited to see what people come up with, and then looking ahead, I kind of want to take this in a more abstracted way to, you know, 3D mediums. Mm. See, I'm hoping that they, the form factors of the headsets and or devices or displays or whatever, um, sort of come. Not down in price because I think they're probably quite a nice, but, but you know, I hope they increase in capability. Sure, and I hope they inc- decrease in in uh, in weight quick enough that I'm not waiting another decade for <laughs> my promised virtual reality future. <laughs> but I'm I'm hoping that when it does, like it doesn't take quite as long next time to for the web to be able to offer the same fidelity of experiences like what you're seeing on the iPad now, the new iPad Pro with the lidar sensor is like. They're clearly making a play to nail yeah. AR before this even glasses out. Like no one's going to use it still, <laughs> sure. But, but they'll know how to make it when the yeah. headsets get here. Yeah, 
Interesting. Um, yeah. And so I want to see stuff like, I want to see those APIs. I want to see like um, React 3 Fiber is such a like great project yeah. that I think it's going to take stuff like that that makes 3D way more accessible to not just React developers, but like the, in the concept of declarative 3D um, UIs. Um, I think that's what excites me at the moment. Like I'm, I'm hoping we get to play around with that a bit more, a bit quicker. I love it. I love it. You've always you've always been like a step ahead on all of this like animation stuff and and maybe even more so just in the belief that it is possible and should be easy. Um, and so I really appreciate your uh, commitment to that and uh, just vision for that. And uh, yeah, so thanks for being on again. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's been it, 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 yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it's been amazing. I, I I always love chatting with you, and I'm sure that everyone's gonna love hearing um, all the cool stuff you've been at. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, cool. Well, stay safe. <laughs> you too. This has been episode 94 of React Podcast with Chantastic and Matt Perry. Find the people and projects mentioned in this episode at reactpodcast.com slash 94. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. They're ready to come alongside you to help fix and finish that app you've been dreaming of. Built with great patterns and practices for the long haul. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red to get expert help, two tickets to Chain React Comp in 2021, and a beautiful functional app today. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Music